Hello, and welcome to Where the Wonder Goes podcast. Today, we are peeking through the veil of Victorian occultism into the connection between sensationalism and crystal gazing, otherwise known as crystallomancy. Crystal gazing, as defined by the Victorian periodical Eclectic Magazine, which was published in May of 1853, is the art of divining by figures which appear on the surface of a crystal ball. It was enjoyed mainly by the middle and upper classes due to the cost of owning a large crystal sphere, as well as paying a seer. There isn't much literature on the subject, but it can be observed through publicized trials and listings of crystal balls for sale, as well as a person's historically owning crystal balls that allows us to make this inference. Crystal gazing was but one of many occult pastimes. It was relevant in literature, newspapers, personal lives, and even found itself being examined through a scientific lens. Wherever the crystal rolled, it found itself reflecting sensational conversations. From religious and legal prosecution to a scientist's attempt at explaining the paranormal experience of fortune-telling and future-seeing to a popular pastime that inspired awe, crystal gazing was a topic of sensation. Victorian sensationalism encompassed everything from mass reaction to individual response, from topics in scientific study to popular pastimes and even popular literature of the time. Oftentimes, these different disciplines and areas ended up overlapping. In fact, occultism and science have a long and often overlapping history in Western history in general, but this is especially seen with crystal gazing during the Victorian era. One researcher by the name of Alison Butler wrote in her study entitled Magical Beginnings, the Intellectual Origins of Victorian Occult Revival, writes that, quote, if the role of magic in society is ever to be understood, it must be accepted as a part of the modern Western world as well as part of its past, end quote. She goes on to explore the ways in which magic developed alongside science as an adjacent understanding of the world. However, in a separate study, Alison Butler goes a step further and shows that there were some influential figures who embraced both science and magic. One such instance is described in her book entitled Victorian Occultism and the Making of Modern Magic, Invoking Tradition. Butler tells a story, one which could have easily been the plot of a sensational novel as opposed to a real-life event about the prominent scientist and social activist Anna Kingsford, who attempted to murder another prominent scientist by the name of Louis Pasteur. And that would be the Louis Pasteur who, if you were wondering, was the man who developed the all-important pasteurization process that microbiologists still talk about today and which we still utilize, especially in the processing of milk and cheese. She tried to kill Louis Pasteur in her views through magic. French scientist Louis Pasteur indeed found himself sick and recovering from an unknown illness, and had he died, Anna Kingsford would have considered it her third death inflicted by magic. Therefore, we can see that there was a space that was both prominent and visible in which magic and science not only coexisted, but were brought together in order for people to try to create a more holistic understanding of the visible and invisible phenomena around them to better understand the world. Andrew Lang, famous folklorist, anthropologist, and writer of Scotland, even tried to bridge the gap between science and the occult pastime of crystal gazing in his 1884 book entitled Cock Lane and Common Sense. In this book, Lang attempts to not only understand crystal gazing from a cultural or folklorist perspective, but to treat it as a scientific inquiry, to examine people's experiences, research the history, and find out what causes these, quote, visual hallucinations, as he described the visions which accompany those who are able to scry. 
Lang describes these people, crystal seers, as, quote, a person who can see in a glass while awake and with open eyes visions akin to those which perhaps the majority of people see with shut eyes between sleeping and waking, end quote. He goes on to further explain the predispositions of seers by saying, it seems probably that people who, when they think, see a mental picture of the subject of their thoughts, people who are good visualizers, are likely to succeed best with the crystal. Some of them can visualize purposely in the crystal, while others cannot. Many who are very bad, who are very bad visualizers, like the writer who think in words and not pictures, see bright and distinct hypnagogic illusions, yet see nothing in the crystal, however long they stare at it. Not only trying to understand the scientific process of crystal gazing, Lang puts forth a quest to understand what causes, on a biological level, this predisposition for being able to crystal gaze. He explains that the president of the Folklore Society, Mr. Claude, has attributed the fact to a deranged liver. He says, this is a theory like another and like another can be tested, but if it holds water, then we have discovered the origin of the worldwide practice of crystal gazing. It arises from an equally worldwide form of hepatic malady. This raises an important point which should be noted. Crystal gazing and scrying have been around for thousands of years in many cultures and places around the world. It is important to note that many crystal balls were even imported and had already existed in some cases as many as centuries before they found themselves in English colonies, many coming from Asia according to the Museum of the History of Science. As could be guessed, Lang's book, Cock Lane and Common Sense, created quite a stir among the academics. The sensationalism running throughout both anthropology, folklore, and sciences academic societies was rabid as people quickly denounced the ties between science and magic, believing the book to be nonsense. We can see then how crystal gazing was a sensational topic across areas of science and the occult. Interestingly, it had a similar reaction in the religious sect as well, where bridges were built and tore down between the occult and Christianity. Though occultism was quite popular in the Victorian era, ranging from tarot cards to deciphering palmistry, attempting to communicate with ghosts to scrying via a crystal ball, Christianity still dominated the social and cultural normalities of the time period. Crystal gazing was a sensational topic and hobby for many reasons, namely that Victorian era England was still a highly religious society. In fact, it saw the largest boom in church buildings since the Middle Ages, according to the historic charity English Heritage, which was highly contrasting the fascination with the petronatural and magical activities of the time. Though humans have long been in search of ways to know the future, we can see through some writings left behind the dissonance between occultism and Christianity, particularly through the lens of crystal gazing. Logie Barrow, a historian who wrote the research novel Independent Spirits, Spiritualism and English Plebeians, 1850-1910, documents the height of this cognitive dissonance. In his book, Barrow states that some spiritualists tried to claim that crystal gazing had its origins in the Bible. That, quote, crystal was the very medium through which was seen the visions prophesied and spoken of in the writings of Daniel and Ezekiel, and the revelations of St. John the Divine, end quote. 
a very sensational claim by, made by a Victorian spiritualist by the name of J.G.H. Brown in the shortened name of his book, The Cause of the Present War and Revelations Given Through the Crystal. The psychological exploration of this claim is incredibly interesting, especially with the knowledge that it was within the first three pages of his book. Much like the previous points, we see how people try to reconcile between seeming opposites, science and spiritualism, Christianity, and the occult. But through this, we see that perhaps people didn't find these concepts as dichotomous as we seem to now in society. Resonant with Lang in many ways, we see that there were many who were concerned with the legitimacy and recognition of crystal gazing and the links being attempted to bridge between belief systems. People felt strongly about this on all sides, creating strong emotional and intellectual response via interpersonal communication, books, and newspaper articles. The popularity of crystal gazing and its inspired sensationalism is even seen in the popular news articles and almanacs of the time period. Not only do we see advertisements in the London Times for crystal balls for sale, both as amulets for protection and scrying devices, we see criminal trials of people being prosecuted under what the United Kingdom Parliament calls the 1735 Amended Witchcraft Act and another under the Vacancy Act of 1824, which made fortune-telling, astrology, and spiritualism public offenses which could be punished. One of the couples mentioned in the trials, Mr. and Mrs. Stevenson, were arrested on August 9th of 1904 in an article entitled The Charges of Fortune-Telling Committal. They were charged under the Witchcraft Act of 1735, in which they were found guilty of pretending to have psychic powers in order to con people out of money. This case was known as the charge of fortune-telling. Eventually, the focus fell on palmistry, and crystal gazing really did fall to the side of this case. It became the main charge in which they went to trial for. But interestingly, a defense eventually came up in the case on October 5th, 1904, of palmistry being a science and therefore not applicable for prosecution under the act. It was very similar to the movement that occurred with crystal gazing through Lang. Though they were found guilty of obtaining money under false pretenses, it was a partner of theirs which was found guilty under the Witchcraft Act. The entire trial was documented in the Times and usually held a much larger spot within the paper and surrounding articles. Many of the articles denounced the legitimacy of crystal gazing and adjacent occult hobbies generally painting a negative general view of these activities, but this contradicts and tells a very different story of the literature left behind. It even contradicts with personal accounts left behind. Perhaps even more telling was in the case of Margaret Gardner, Countess of Blessington, an Irish writer Britannica describes as being remembered mostly for her book entitled Conversations of Lord Byron. Lady Blessington also had a crystal ball and often entertained her friends with it, as seen in letters from the famous poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Browning, who is friends with Lady Blessington, in a letter to another friend explains, quote, Perhaps you never heard of the crystal ball. The original ball was bought by Lady Blessington from an Egyptian magician and resold at her sale. She never could understand the use of it, but others have looked deeper or with pure eyes, it is said. And now there is an optician in London who makes and sells these balls and speaks of a great demand, though they are expensive." End quote. 
This crystal ball eventually came to the center of a major public trial, which sparked a large public reaction. Long accounts of the trial and reactions within the courtroom. The London Times describes the scene as one of excitement and amusement, where, interestingly, this was not the first time Lady Blessington's crystal ball had been in the newspapers. In May of 1850, 13 years earlier, before it was sold to Admiral Belcher, the Bristol Times and Mirror featured in an article describing its mysterious circumstances. Quote, at the sale of the late Countess of Blessington's effects, a globular crystal ball, stated to have formerly belonged to the Egyptian Magi, was purchased by an old Jew from whom it passed to Lieutenant Ho. A short time since the lieutenant threw the ball into to his little daughter to play with. The child, who had lost its mother, suddenly started saying, There's a lady in the ball. It is dear mamma. Day after day, the child stoutly declared she saw her mother in the ball, until the lieutenant, being uneasy, gave the crystal ball to Arkadiakin Rowe. End quote. Many people, both women and men of high society, came to see the ball on exhibit while it belonged to Lord Belcher, and throughout its time, over a decade, inspired much excitement, conversation, and debates among the community and within newspapers around England, appearing in many regional newspapers, as well as the national ones. This strong emotional reaction and opinion related to crystal gazing to show that the topic indeed sparked controversy and sensation among the general public. From personal experiences to science experiments, an expanse of Victorian England watching a trial unfold against a self-proclaimed seer and their interaction between disciplines arguing about the legitimacy and appropriateness of crystal gazing, we can see the impact in the pastime had across the Victorian era. I thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed the podcast on crystal gazing.